Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Who Knows, a podcast by me, Chris, where I just read things. At least that's what this podcast is supposed to be. I've been thinking a lot about what I want to do with this thing. Reading is definitely going to keep going. I'm never going to stop reading uh, every episode, so you'll have that. I think most of the time I will just release episodes without any commentary. Sometimes I'll have commentary. I'm not really sure. I guess it really just depends on my mood. But as of right now, I am really excited to let you know that not only did I get that new book, The Untethered Soul, which if you haven't heard those uh, chapters that I've read so far, go and check them out. But I also got a brand new microphone. And it's pretty sweet. I like it. It's sleek. It's sexy. It's called the Newer 8000 USB microphone. Um, and it comes with a pop filter. And it came with a swing arm. So I can connect it to my desk and not have to hold it or anything. Uh, it looks really good. So... I'm excited to share that news with you. Uh, you, the listener, are the reason why I am generating these podcasts. So I figured I might as well get something decent to hear my voice from. It is unknown if I'll ever do a video podcast. I know that's a thing these days for a lot of people, but I don't really care to be on video as much right now. We'll see. You never know. This could be a thing. That just continues and forms into something else, as do all things. So, without further ado, today we're going to read something that I found on Reddit. Um, I've been on cruising through Reddit a lot. There's a lot of cool stuff on there. A lot of weird stuff, too, but mostly just look for the cool stuff. Um, and I found this series, which is crazy. So far, I, th I mean, I, I read the title and I was like, all right, maybe uh, maybe give this a shot. So that's what we're doing. Uh, this was posted, and you'll, you'll see the links in the, uh, the description of the podcast, of this episode, whatever this thing is. But it was written by the user Peculi underscore Dar. And I will, like I said, I'll have a link for this story. You can read along. There's a few parts to it, so I'm just going to get into it. Um, this one is pretty long. So let's let's do our best. We're going to get to probably a, a halfway point, and then this might be a two-part series for each part in this series. So there's a lot of parts in the series. Let's see. I think it says five parts. So there's five parts. Each part is really long, so we'll probably have to split this up into ten parts just to uh, save on time. I don't want to take up everybody's time too much. So we are just going to go ahead and get into it. And here we go. The title is, An old guy hired me to manage his life-size dollhouse, and some of the occupants are starting to freak me out. The ad was bizarre, but straightforward enough. 
Late 50s male seeks woman in 20s to manage large-scale dollhouse. Candidate needs to maintain a household of 11 real dolls by tending to the daily wardrobe, grooming, and other needs of the dolls. Nothing inappropriate. $250 paid in cash at the end of every shift. A lot of women would be put off by that ad, but not me. Let's just say I've seen some shit in my life. I was finally starting to dig myself out of a trash pile of childhood trauma by getting into a good college, when the reality of tuition and fees set in. I needed a part-time job to stay afloat, and creepy sex doll man would have to be it. I tried calling the number on the ad, but nobody picked up. A few minutes later, I got a text asking my name, age, and times of availability. Another text later, I was asked to start at 9 the following day. I was surprised at the ease of the interview, if you could even call it that, but I didn't feel like questioning it. Whatever the guy's deal was, that was his business, not mine. As long as he didn't breach any boundaries and paid me on time, we'd get along just fine. I wasn't stupid, though. I called my cousin Ronnie and told him what was going on and where I'd be the next day. Ronnie sighed but didn't question my decision. We grew up with the same shitty guardians, and he knew I could handle myself. Just be careful, Lou, he said at the end of the call. Pack the bag, okay? Of course, Ronnie, I smiled into the phone. I'll be in touch if anything happens. The bag was a backpack of essentials for any kind, any kid that was unfortunate enough to grow up in a neighborhood like mine. My bag contained pepper spray, a Swiss Army knife, drinking water, a couple of protein bars, and a cheap disposable phone with Ronnie's number saved in contacts. I hope for the best, but prepare for the worst, always. I was at the given address at exactly 9 o'clock the next morning. The house was breathtaking. A tall, asymmetrical two-story with whitewashed walls and a multifaceted roof. The windows were different sizes and shapes. The panes, a charming blue baby, a charming baby blue with glass that sparkled like morning dew on grass. I walked up the cobblestone path, admiring the clean-cut lawn and tulip flower beds that lined the perimeter. Maybe this won't be so bad, I thought, climbing the porch steps. I couldn't find a doorbell, only a large bronze knocker designed to look like some sort of horned creature, possibly a bull. It was as though the sculptor had chosen to make the beast in man's image. The result being a grotesque blend of the two. I banged the knocker three times and waited. Nothing happened. I tried again. No one came to the door. I pulled my phone from my back pocket just as it received a message from the Craigslist number. Go inside. The girls are on the second floor. Whatever you're into, buddy, I thought as I pulled the door open and stepped inside. The entrance hall has everything the exterior suggested. Polished hardwood floors shimmered like glaciers on a sunny day. A needlessly large chandelier descended from somewhere far above my head. Quaint antique hall cupboards. Quaint, sorry, quaint antique hall cupboards and paintings of flower pots tied to look together. It was all meant to be quite lovely, but something felt off. The interior seemed almost too precise, as though crafted, crafted after the idea of an old Victorian home. The passing of time generally implied a dash of ruggedness, and this place had none. A large-scale dollhouse, I thought, remembering the ad with a slight shudder. I clutched at the straps of my backpack, straining to hear any hint of life within the house. There was only the slight echo of my sneakers scraping across the floor as I crossed the hall on my way to the grand staircase. I lingered before taking the first step. It wasn't too late to turn around and find something less creepy to do. 
Sure, the pay was excellent, but my gut was telling me there was something very wrong with the house. Determination and a hint of curiosity argued with my better instincts and won. I walked up the carpeted steps. Hello? I called upon reaching the second floor. No answer. To my left, the door stood open, revealing an old-school parlor room. I stalled before entering, realizing that the distant concept of eleven life-size dolls had been far more agreeable than the actual sight of them. What can I say? The dolls were exquisite in a, in a vacant, detached sort of way. Someone had dressed them in a variety of colorful nightgowns and bathrobes. Some faced windows, others were seated around a coffee table. All were positioned in poses that were meant to look natural. Their size was that of your basic petite woman, with some evident variation in the hip and breast departments. There were even blondes with blue eyes, sultry brunettes, a redhead, African Americans, Asians, you name it. One even had rainbow-colored hair and blue lips. Luisa, a soft voice interrupted my doll-induced trance. My right hand instantly went for the pepper spray as I whirled around in one swift, jumpy motion. Jesus, I muttered, slipping the spray back in place. You scared me, lady. The owner of the voice was a tall, thin woman, well into her fifties. She wore a long red cardigan that she buttoned over a lilac turtleneck and full-length plaid skirt. The entire outfit was so hideous that I barely even registered the fact that the woman herself was attractive for her age. She had a very dignified sort of face with a dainty nose and knowledgeable eyes. A good amount of thick, graying hair was tied back in a low ponytail. My apologies, Louisa, the woman smiled politely. I didn't mean to scare you. It's Lou, actually, I mumbled, trying to compose myself. Nice to meet you, Lou, the woman's smile held, through, though her gaze sharpened. My name is Mrs. Claymore, and I am the mistress of Vanderly House. First time I've been in a house with a name, I replied, watching her face, much like my surroundings. The woman carried herself in a manner of welcome, but it all felt a bit scripted. I believe my husband has given you the general gist of your duties here at Vanderly. Well, I surveyed the kinky mannequins lounging around the room. The text messages mentioned I would have to watch the dolls. Yes, she spoke slowly as though addressing a small child. You will be acting as the part-time manager of the household. In essence, you will be filling my shoes while I'm away. I see, I nodded, feeling uneasy. For the next hour or so, Mrs. Claymore took me around the house, showing me the different rooms and explaining my increasingly bizarre work tasks. Every morning, I was to change the girls into the, their daytime outfits, and carry them around the house, setting them up at their respective activities. I would learn the dolls' names and activities from a chart. My shift would end around the time the so-called hygienist showed up to perform cleaning procedures on the dolls. If, that is, if all that is clear, Miss Claymore concluded, I will leave you to your job. All right, I nodded, struggling with my apprehensive feelings. I laid out a long breath as soon as Mrs. Claymore retreated downstairs. If ever there was a master... At not asking questions, it was me. And yet I had so many. Everything about Miss Claymore indicated that she was an intelligent, proper sort of woman, and I just couldn't reconcile that image with the things she was saying. Was she unhinged? I half wished the husband had met me out instead. A creepy old man with a sex doll fetish, while super gross, was something that I can understand and even turned a blind eye to. For the right amount of money, of course. But this? What the hell was this? Walking back to the parlor room, I felt my resolve strengthen. 
Late morning sunshine spilled in through the sheer curtains, illuminating the dolls in a cool gray light. Not a single speck of dust could be seen in the rays. The dead eyes of the dolls reflected my mood. I studied the clipboard Miss Claymore had given me. It contained the aforementioned doll chart printed on a crisp, expensive-looking sheet of paper. Cynthia was the first doll on the list. With a flicker of dread, I stared at the tiny picture printed on the page. The photograph, while small and a little blurry, was clearly of a real person, not a doll. It showed a pretty redhead somewhere outside with locks of hair lifted by a gust of wind. I scanned the room, quickly locating Cynthia in a nearby armchair. The resemblance to the person in the picture was uncanny. I walked up to the doll and stared at her face, reaching out a hand to graze the cheek with my fingers. She was definitely a doll, not a person. Even so, the fact that her image was molded after a human being felt all sorts of wrong. I turned my attention back to the chart. Cynthia, 21 years old, 5 foot 7 inches, 122 pounds, Biochemistry student, plays violin, 11 a.m. violin lesson in drawing room, 12.30, quiet reading time and study. What an oddly specific type of girl. Hardly your average boner inducer. Scanning the other five entries on the page disturbed me more than I could say. Valeria, 20 years old, 5 foot 7 inches, 107 pounds. Athlete, ballroom dancer, 11 a.m., dance lesson in drawing room. 12.30, yoga in downstairs hallway. Dina, 22-year-old, 5 foot 6 inches, 121 pounds, barista, cat lover, 11 o'clock, disciplinary session in entrance hall, 12.30, quiet reading time and study. Katrin, 25 years old, 5 foot 5 inches, 135 pounds, unemployed, recreational drug user, 11 a.m., double disciplinary session. Madison, 28-year-old, 5 foot 6 inches, 118 pounds, daycare teacher, enjoys reading, 11 a.m., dance lesson in drawing room, 12.30, quiet reading time and study. My hands trembled as I finished reading the last entry on the page. There have been so many times in my life where I felt helpless and afraid. While horrible, each instance had an identifiable source of danger. A drunken uncle, an abusive social worker, a school bully. It was easy to work through fear when you knew what to expect. The place had me stumped. There was something very wrong about it, about Mrs. Claymore and her yet-to-be-seen husband, about the dolls that were meant to look like real people. I knew then that I should leave, but there was a part of me that didn't want to. Call me the collector of evils, but I just had to know what sort of fucked-up darkness lurked the serene halls of Fanderley House. I left the parlor and located the closet a room on the second floor which was dedicated to all 11 doll wardrobes. I caught a glimpse of it during the walkthrough, but didn't get a chance to take it all in. It was the size of a bedroom, with shelves of shoes, folded clothes, and hanging garments lining the walls to my left and right. The other end of the room consisted of a mirror wall. I stared at my small frame reflected in four distinct angles. A couple of jet black curls fell loose from my ponytail, and I tucked them behind an ear. I looked very pale not unlike a doll myself. That thought sent a visible shiver through my reflection. Shelves of the closet were an obsessive-compulsive dream come to life. Everything was sorted by clothing type and color. The chart hadn't specified what the doll should wear, so I trusted my better judgment in picking the outfits. 
There were few modern garments available, but there was a large variety of basics that would look decent on most people. I pulled some items from the shelves and went to pick out the shoes. Not many options there either, mostly pumps. I was about to head back to the parlor when another glance at the mirrors revealed a detail I'd very nearly missed. Though three of the full-length mirrors were visibly nailed to the wall, the one on the far right had no bolts in the corners of the frame. I tried wedging my fingers in the small crack between mirrors and pulling it, but that yielded nothing. After a second's thought, I tried pushing instead, and the hidden door popped open. Inside was the first hint of the real Vanderlee. The mirror concealed a small, dusty room. A bare light bulb dangled from a wire, revealing unfinished concrete walls and stacks of moving boxes. I approached the nearest box and looked inside. It was filled with clothes, but they were nothing like the garments in the outer closet. These were trendy crop tops, boy shorts, cocktail dresses. A lump formed in my throat. I opened more, finding high heels, hoodies, sunglasses, watches, trinkets. I had to stop myself then. There were a lot of boxes and I didn't have time to ransack the place. Miss Claymore could find me at any moment and I needed more proof of my growing suspicions. I walked out to the front closet, closing the mirror door behind me. I did my best to wipe away the fingerprints that revealed my intrusion. I reached for the phone in my back pocket so I could call Ronnie and found that it was missing. Of course, I thought, reaching for the hidden zipper on the in inner side of my backpack. I powered on the flip phone and auto-dialed Ronnie. He picked up on the first ring. Code red, I whispered in into the passe gadget. I fucking knew it, Lou, Ronnie reprimanded. I'll be there in 40, an hour tops. Keep safe. Will do, I promised, replacing the cell before picking up the pile of clothes I had selected for the dolls. Mrs. Claymore must have finished must have fished my phone out of my back jean pocket at some point during the walkthrough. But why? Was it to snoop on me? Mess with me? Potentially cause me harm? None of the answers quite fit the bill. But I had a feeling I would learn I would learn the truth soon enough. I made sure to keep calm as I walked back to the parlor room. There was no use for panic. I needed to keep my thoughts clear. I set down the pile of clothes on the coffee table and approached Cynthia. I lifted her arms and pulled her nightgown off, putting her arms back at her side. I took a step back and surveyed the doll's body. There was no doubt in my mind that Cynthia was molded after a living, breathing young woman. While her body held true to the beauty standards of today, it was not perfect. Her large breasts hung low without the support of a push-up bra, and there was a bite mark on the right of her belly button. Again, I felt the need to reach out and feel her to make sure that she wasn't alive. I placed my hand on her lean stomach. She felt plastic as ever. Room temperature, high-grade silicone, and yet there was an energy. I'd had that feeling before in museums, on school trips where I snuck away from the crowd and stared at some old army general's chair or an early telephone set. I thought it was common, getting vibes from items, but Ronnie told me it wasn't. I didn't dwell on it much. To me, objects carried stories, just like people did. So what was Cynthia's? I placed my other hand in her palm and an overwhelming sense of sorrow erupted inside me. The force of it made me fall to the floor, laying my head on Cynthia's knees. I didn't let go of her. I couldn't. The doll was telling me her truth, one so awful that my limited imagination could only produce it in dull aches that ran through my body. The grief was insurmountable, and I, and I let it flow through the both of us. What do they do to you? I asked, choking back tears. There was no reply as the immense darkness receded into heavy but manageable despair. It was then that I noticed a small tattoo on Cynthia's inner left wrist. 
It was a black stencil of the bull man I had seen on the entrance door of the Vanderlee house. I couldn't waste time. I had to gather as much information as possible before Ronnie showed up. I got up and started checking all the other dolls. Every one of them had the same tattoo. I picked up the doll chart, now fully convinced that it was a list of victims. I needed to learn as much about them in the short amount of time I had left. Cynthia, Valeria, Gina, Katrin, Angelique, Madison. They were all here. Each headshot contained a girl outside, not a doll. They were real, but were they alive? I felt my breath falter as nausea threatened the scant contents of my breakfast. There were only six girls on this page. The truth hit me like a punch to the face as 11 sets of dead eyes stared at me, the link I always suspected but couldn't prove until now. With shaky hands, I unclipped the piece of paper and flipped it over. There were six more entries on the back, but my eyes instantly went to the last one on the page. Right there, beside a tiny pixelated photograph of me standing outside Banderley House that very morning, I read the following. Louisa, 20 years old, 5'4", 115 pounds, ex tenebris lux, ex malabonum, 11 a.m., the hygienist. A door slammed downstairs, and though I wished... It, and though I wished with all my being that it was Ronnie arriving early to get me out of this mess, the large Roman numeral clock on the wall of the parlor told me that it was far too soon to get my hopes up. Heavy football ascended the stairs in a slow, confident stride. Echoes of the intruder carried through the house and into the parlor. I picked up the pepper spray and rummaged around my backpack for the Swiss Army knife. I slipped the spray in my back pocket and held the knife on the inside of my palm so it was out of view. It was time for my appointment with the hygienist. And there's the first part. I guess we won't have to split it up. It's not that long. Okay, that's because there's all comments left. Cool. So that's the first part of that series. We're going to keep on this one. Um, pretty interesting. Sounds like the beginning... The intro to a uh, kind of like a B-rated horror movie or something. Um, pretty good stuff. Or like House of Wax. That was a pretty good horror movie. That's what this story reminds me of. So. All right. So like I said, this oh, it's a six-part series. There's a part two, three, four, five, and a final. So we are going to uh, get to part two at some point. Um, got a lot of stuff to read still. Uh, and also, like I said in the beginning, I'm going to keep this podcast going no matter what. I don't even care if people are listening. Um, it, it, if anything, it would be so my kids, when I am gone, can listen to me talk. Um, so it's kind of like a gift for them. But if you want to keep listening, I promise I will keep, I will keep posting here um and i will keep reading i might miss some days but you don't have to worry about that just come back whenever you want um however long like if you take a break from me that's fine i'll be here if you want to if you're interested in coming back so uh, i appreciate you guys listening and i hope this sounds good with my new microphone give me some feedback we have a facebook page now you can find that page on the description, um, or if I believe you can just go to facebook.com. Let's see here. Facebook.com slash who knows podcast. And I will be there. 
So you can come there and we will have discussions and all that good stuff. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Okay, bye.